Welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. First, a big thank you to all the past guests and listeners who came out for the Out the Gate virtual get-together, the first ever. It was, it was a good time. We had about 30 people who showed up, and uh, we just shot the shit, talked about sailing, and just enjoyed each other's company. People who have missed it said they'd like to do it again, so I'll look at doing that some point in the future. This week on the show, I talk with Martin Machado, an artist, sailor, merchant marine, and Alaskan salmon fisher. And he has plenty of stories to share from all these adventures. A thwarted pirate attack in the Suez Canal, to the more tranquil painting of landscapes aboard a 26-foot Pearson in the California Delta. You may have seen some of Martin's work in Latitude 38. They did a really cool profile of him in the December 2018 issue. If you haven't, you should check out his paintings and drawings at martinmachado.com. Let's dive right in. Thanks, Martin. Thanks for joining us for the podcast. Really appreciate it. Of course, yeah. I can see where you are because we're doing this over Zoom. Tell listeners um, where you're sitting. Sure. Yeah, I'm down uh, in my basement studio, which uh, I guess it kind of re- resembles a ship in a way <laughs> because it's you've got the tubes coming in from the air. And <laughs> I just got my kids to bed like yourself and uh, uh, came down for an hour of painting before this interview. So usually I'm down here at night working and uh, work when I can during the day. But my, my wife and I just kind of go back and forth on on the kiddo duties. So conveniently, I've got a home studio for, for these times. So I'm, I'm pretty used to this routine. Have you been getting out on the water in these times? Obviously, you've been painting. You have time at home alone. Have you been getting out on yeah. the water at all? Uh, mostly surfing, but, um, I haven't done a lot of sailing since that Sacramento trip. Yeah. Let's talk about that. I think it was the day before the lockdown, mm-hmm. your beautiful little Pearson, you mm-hmm. have to tell us about that boat and headed up the Delta, uh, yeah. must've been kind of a surreal trip, but first, first tell us about the boat and then tell us about the trip. Uh, I had some friends that had a Pearson commander, a little 26 foot boat. And it's conveniently in the harbor, real close to where I live in San Francisco, and talked my way onto the partnership. And um, and I've been a little bit of a pain in the ass just trying to get the boat in shape. I was I was scheming right from the beginning with this idea to do an art show at a gallery in Sacramento. It sort of worked out, <laughs> sort of didn't. But uh, but yeah, we had been planning it for about six months or eight months, and um, hauled the boat out and kind of fixed it up a bit. Did Painted really... this beautiful blue. I love oh, the hull color. Thanks. Yeah, kind of went with the seafoam green. Uh-huh. So it's it's definitely um, noticeable, which was tricky to convince. You know, three boat partners all to pick one color. We were like <laughs> fighting over everything, but uh, but anyways, it it worked out, and um, I left as soon as I could, as far as like being on on kid kiddo duty <laughs> and when my wife was off work uh in the afternoon on the 12th so i left on the 12th and then the next morning they announced all the public schools were going to get shut down and i think then the next day after that 
they sort of initiated the, the, the shutdown. So as I was sailing up, things were unfolding and getting more and more, yeah, like you say, surreal, just, just hectic, you know, those calls home, like, should I turn back? Are you okay? You know, we've been planning this for a long time. My wife is sort of used to me leaving at times for jobs. She can handle her own, but, you know, obviously with the pandemic, things were like even more stressful and sure there was that guilt. But at, at that time I was almost halfway up. So we ended up making the call just to keep going. Sacramento was still pretty open at that point. So we thought we were going to at least be able to have an art opening, but that of course changed. And I basically got there, brought the paintings to the gallery and it became like an online show. It was definitely an experience. <laughs> so, so where do people find that online show? I have a link on my website, which is just my name, martinmachado.com. Okay. Um, and, and the gallery is public land, uh, public land store. It's like a store and a gallery up in Sacramento. And the pieces in that show, mm-hmm. are they composed of ones you did on that trip while you were going up? It was about half and half. I did, I did a small series of, of paintings um, around the bay, at least started on a sailboat. And then most of those, I, I finished them up in the studio. About half the show was done in route. So I would um, either anchor up and paint or um, painting inside the boat. I, I got hit with a pretty big storm. <laughs> so oh, wow. I was painting inside the, you know, up in the V-berth of a 26 foot boat. So pretty oh. tight quarters and I was painting in oil. So not the most um, safe thing <laughs> as far as the fumes, but wow. I did best to crack some hatches, even though it was pouring rain. And, and that boat, I mean, I've looked at pictures of it. It has a huge cockpit and yeah. not very much space down below. Not much, yeah. <laughs> it was tight down below, but it was nice when it occasionally did clear up and I got yeah. to paint in the cockpit. That was pretty comfortable. So. Uh, what's the setup for that? How did you have an easel or do you just put the canvas or paper down on um, one side? Yeah. I have a little collapsible easel. It folds out. Um, it's a really old style easel. I think it was actually invented by this French artist when he was in prison. I think as the, as the story goes, he designed it all to really like collapse perfect, perfectly. And you can um, put it in a backpack. It's pretty nice, nice cool. little deal. It holds the paints and stuff. So yeah, I usually set that up uh, on a seat or something. It seems that you really enjoy doing art that's inspired by being out there mm-hmm. on the bay or other parts of the world that you've gotten out to to do art has that always been how you have enjoyed doing art i've gone back and forth i I guess early on in school i took a landscape painting like a plain air painting course Uh and had maybe a year or so doing that and then kind of like radically shifted away from it but it's slowly been coming back it's tough to paint outdoors it's like a social experiment too sort of like being a photographer you know you have to be able to interact with people to get those shots and painting maybe not not as much but you're going to have to deal with people chatting with you and asking questions or just at least looking over your shoulder so i kind of like how on a boat you're kind of off slightly at a distance and you don't have to deal with that as much Uh you can kind of get into the zone a little bit more and there obviously are a lot of challenges you know if you're at anchor and the boat's swinging on anchor you're going to get you're gonna have to wait sometimes to get that angle that you had initially. So 
it's it's still kind of an experiment. I, you know, I haven't been doing it that long. <laughs> I never thought of that. You you can't really just say hold still. Yeah, I got to throw the stern anchor out or something. Get yeah. get two anchors going or or be at a dock. You know, whatever. Now on a small sailboat, you you can be at a distance. But I just watched a wonderful video you did for the after the first time you shipped out in the Merchant Marine. You spent mm -hmm. six months at sea. Mm -hmm. And you did a lot of artwork while you were uh, working aboard this 90 foot. 900 foot, yeah. I'm sorry, 900 <laughs> foot. I'm off by a factor of 10 there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, while you were aboard this 900 foot container ship. And in that case, um, some of the artwork you did was of your fellow crew members. What were the reactions there? Well, in general, it, it, people are open to it. You know, I, I think... Um, people sort of have this idea of like folks on container ships being like super rough and, and mean or something, but you know, they're regular folks and most are just like interested in what's going on and, and art and culture and stuff as well. Um, not everybody, but you know, for the most part, I think people are pretty open. A lot of those paintings that made that video I did afterwards though. So a lot of that was working from photographs, mm. um, but the shots that are in the video of me painting in my cabin uh, are, are mostly landscape um, or, or I guess seascape, but with yeah. uh, the containers. You talked about the challenges of, uh, of painting on a small sailboat. What are the challenges of painting on a 900 foot container ship? You know, there's not much. I, I find it really enjoyable and a nice way to sort of spend my off time. You know, everybody does their own thing when they're not on watch or, or whatever on a ship reading or TV or whatever. And to, to be honest, it's been two years since I've been on a container ship. I got off one at the end of 2017. So it's still fresh in my mind, but, but I, I did it for about 10 years. I'm still keeping my credentials up and my union dues paid and everything. But um, at this point with two kiddos, it's pretty tough for me yeah. to split. I also fish commercially in the summertime up in Alaska so that's six weeks that I'm gone. So anyways, I mean, on the big ships, one of the nice things is you typically have these steel bulkheads that are, um, you know, they're coated with some sort of like laminate or whatever. So it doesn't look steel, but, but they're magnetic. So, I mean, you can mm. magnets on there and put really thick paper or canvas or whatever you're using, which I discovered on that first ship. So I was using these huge rolls of really thick cotton rag paper and, um, got these really insane gold magnets that are the strongest things I've ever seen, but I can hold huge pieces of paper or canvas on the wall. And I usually just clear out the space. Like when I get on a ship, I've had some ships where I've gotten like a bosun's room and a view of the sea and just like extra big space to work. I move the couch out of the way. Usually there's like a built-in couch connected to the bulkhead. I usually shift that out of the way. And then, and then I've got a nice workspace. I just try to make that my focus. Like whenever, whenever I have a coffee break or, you know, whatever, just try to get in there and work in the studio or my room, which becomes the yeah. studio. But uh, yeah, I, I love it. I, mean, I miss going to sea on those big ships and I'm sure I'll get out again soon. Yeah. I'm curious about your, the marriage of time on the water and the art. How did that come together? Do you, what came first uh, as a kid? Uh, you, you grew up by the water in, in San Jose and Santa Cruz? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, San Jose and Santa Cruz, like a lot of your um, 
your guess, I did the the Yacht Harbor El Toros. That was my first like intro to sailing as like a seven-year-old kid or something, you know. Yeah, I didn't really do much sailing after that until maybe high school. I started kind of hanging around the harbor in Santa Cruz and trying to get on beer can races. Once I hit college, I was between semesters and got a job on a tall ship on the Hawaiian Chieftain ah. when it was in San Francisco still, or Sausalito. And that just had a huge influence on my, on my life, just meeting all these cruiser, you know, kids that had grow, grown up as cruiser kids that were working um, and living on the ship at like, you know, 18 or something. I was, I was 19 mm -hmm. and I got on as assistant cook and kind of learned the, learned the, the ropes and, um, you know, climbing the rigging and all that fun stuff about tall ships. And the captain of that boat just really like told us to save sea time and kind of laid the, planted the seeds in my brain about um, being able to work on bigger ships if you just keep registering your sea time with the Coast Guard. So that, that sort of, the, sort of plant, planted the seeds that, that kept me going and working on mo mostly modern charter sailboats from there, which led to commercial fishing, which eventually led to container ship work. So you still go up and do commercial fishing every year in Alaska, is that right? Yeah, every summer I fish for salmon in Bristol Bay. Um, I started doing that in 2006. I took two years off when I was on big ships during the summertime, but um, every other year I've been doing it. So I own my own permit and run a skiff, but sort of work under the umbrella of a, a father-son crew that has like four boats and we all, we all kind of pool our catch and um, split up the percentages and stuff. So it's a, it's a really amazing community of folks that Wow. So when I picture us fishing in Alaska, I think of kind of a slightly bigger boat and a, a crew, but you're out there on your own small skiff. Yeah, it's called set netting. So the majority of what you hear about up there, the majority of the fleet is, is a, are drift boats. Uh, and so they are larger, slightly larger vessels. They're like 30 feet. I, I forget the, they, they keep them under a certain size to, to keep the whole fleet you know, they try to keep corporations out of it as much as they can. Mm -hmm. But a small percentage of the fleet is set netting so that we fish along the shoreline and actually anchor both ends of the net and then fish the incoming flood and, and part of the ebb. And we have 20 foot tidal swings up there, sometimes slightly bigger. So it's a lot of current and you're dealing with crazy forces on your, on your gear and trying to figure out ways to deal with that <laughs> without pulling anchors or auger we use augers as well and you chase the water up the mud flats so we're fishing along the shoreline uh -huh. and getting out into the mud a lot and wearing waders it's a it's a it's like caveman fishing really <laughs> it's crazy simple in some ways and yeah. and i read some of that you're squatting in an old cannery and at night yeah yeah we squat in an abandoned cannery it's a community of about 100 maybe 150 folks that show up every year from maybe five original families this this community has grown people have brought up other folks so there was an italian family from the bay area that kind of is where i'm connected to this community from a couple generations back supposedly my great grandfather sailed up there from um he was an italian immigrant and I, I, the story goes that he sailed up with maybe the Starfleet and um, and did a season or two, but uh, I've yet to find 
documentation. I keep searching with the Maritime Museum and stuff. But uh, Wow. So sailing goes back in your family a ways. Not within like my parents' generation or anything. My grandfather on my mom's side restored old Monterey fishing boats. So I, I grew up when I would go to Santa Cruz, it was to visit my grandfather. And um, I have some early memories of going out with him on his boats. Uh, he had one up here in San Francisco as well, but he did it more as a hobby. So it's skipped a couple generations, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Do you, is the Alaskan work inspiration for your work, for your art at all? It is. It's been a while, but I, but I made a little body of work about it and showed it maybe back in 2012. But I've kind of focused more on the container ship stuff. I love yeah. your I love your pieces with containers, the ink drawings, containers, and I think some of them have run in Latitude Thirty Eight and other places. You can see them on your website. But um, containers definitely play a a major theme in a lot of your work. What yeah. is it about the container itself that so draws you to it? I mean, I think it sank in when I was first on that six month trip and just staring over them as a watchstander for eight hours a day at least just the symbolism of the container kind of struck me as this utilitarian object that can represent so many things in our modern lives. Just, just thinking about how, how many of our day-to-day -day things that we purchase have crossed oceans back and forth as they became assembled. To me, there's just a lot in that box that it can represent. And it's a lot of fun to sort of play with that. And, you know, the whole floating container thing, played with a lot or maybe I use it as a stage to present different ideas that ink series really came out of looking at old Captain Cook etchings from the Captain Cook books ah. and and, um, and just digging into that whole history and thinking about how they carried artists on their ships and they were some of the first ships to do that I saw some on Alaska um, some illustrations of natives from the Aleutian uh, chain, which is, you know, if I catch a ship from here, I'm going to go to Dutch Harbor and then I'm going to go to Asia and LA and back. So I sort of have this realization that I have some connection to this body of work in, in a contemporary way, I guess. Uh, and then also thinking about obviously Alaska fishing. And so that sort of is how I allowed myself to start digging through that imagery and trying to make it my own in a way and studying some of the line work that those folks were doing as etchings. And I guess I was doing through drawing, through ink, using brushes and ink on paper. Yeah. I'm really curious how the, um, the lifestyle of, uh, of painting, being an artist, and then going to see either fishing in Alaska or Merchant Marine, how those play together. You know, you're, you've already mentioned you're away for long stints. Do they complement each other or are they difficult to mesh? In a lot of conceptual art, I feel like it's so hard for people to to connect with just sort of the average person that hasn't had an art education. Uh, so I've always really enjoyed just reconnecting with regular people, you know, working regular. I mean, I guess they're not regular jobs, but, you know, they're they're not pretending. Yeah, that, that makes me think of that Richard Dana quote you have from two years before the mast um, that you play at the that you have at the beginning of the video. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. Um, did you want me, should I read it or just comment yeah, on it? Do read it. I, okay. I think it's a great quote and it's what sure. you're talking about. I think I, I think I may have 
kind of connected like two sections of that paragraph, but but I'll just read what I put down. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll give you a pass here. No, we're okay. not going to charge you with plagiarism. <laughs> I didn't change any words. I know that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we must come down from our heights and leave our straight paths for the byways and low places of life. If we would learn truths by strong contrasts and in hovels and forecastles and among our own outcasts and foreign lands, we what has been wrought upon our fellow creatures by accident, hardship, or vice. And I mean, it resonates so much with that video you made of your experiences on the ship. When you look back at that video that you made, what you, almost a decade ago now, do you see your time um, on the ships differently? Somewhat differently, yeah. There, there were some mistakes I made in the video. I don't know if you read like some of the fine print under it, but people gave me a lot of crap about like misusing terms and stuff. So I've learned <laughs> not to call um, an AB credential a license because that's not a license. That's just a credential. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. People get touchy about these. Oh, things. man. Yeah. Officers, officers will get pissed. So which is understandable. But, you know, I, it was my first ship. I was still learning a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there was, a, there was a lot of things that, on that first ship that I just was so clueless about, just really, because I went straight to being an AB. I had enough sea time to be an AB, um, and then I had to get this special thing with the Coast Guard to be able to go out on big ships. AB is able-bodied seaman? Yeah, able-bodied seaman, and then the Coast Guard, you need to get this RFPNW, which <laughs> rating form, part of a nav watch, I think is what it stands for. So I got that uh, on the bay working volunteering on the Potomac and then also working on an oil spill cleanup ship. So I kind of jumped from being on all these random vessels to on a container ship, which I didn't really know how to control the wenches that dropped our big lines down for the dock, the dock lines. There was just a lot. I mean, there was a ton to learn, which you don't learn yeah. unless you jump into it, but you know, right. There were some, you know, just like, bosuns like where are you coming from man like you never does an ordinary you know give me a lot of shit but um for uh, those of us who haven't been on big tankers or container ships what's different and what's the same about being at sea on a sailboat versus a big ship for the most part they're just so much smoother you know um yeah, I guess when you, you asked about like doing art in my in my cabin, it's just so much smoother on a big ship, obviously. Certain ships like Matson has they're starting to phase them out, but they had a lot of steamships that I've worked on and those they have aft houses sometimes that are right over the engine rooms and they're just vibrating like crazy. So holding a brush is like holding a tattoo gun, you know, in my cabin if I'm trying to do artwork. Mm. So each ship kind of has its own personalities but in general yeah they're just going to be so much smoother you get to kind of get out to sea and see what the elements are really like without worrying as much you know i mean there are officers obviously that are handling the navigation the captain's thinking about avoiding storms um especially going back and forth to hawaii you know we'll, we'll sometimes just be cutting like south towards mexico instead of heading north towards seattle where we're heading or something in general, it's a lot more just comfortable, <laughs> you know, yeah. but you don't have all the beauty that comes with sailing, the quietness, 
the accomplishment of dealing with weather conditions on a small boat and um and figuring those out and and handling it it's just a lot more real on small boats i think you know the consequences yeah. are a lot bigger well there are consequences on the big boats too and i heard that you did yeah. have a captain phillips moment <laughs> can you tell that story so yeah that was on I've been on that Suez Canal run a couple times. Mm -hmm. And the last time I was on it was 2014. Most of the American ships aren't doing it anymore um, because it has gotten fairly dangerous going through there. We had come out of the Suez Canal. We're going through the Red Sea and had exited the pirate, pirate corridor as sort of this area where they patrol with warships and they like, they like the big ships to kind of go in a line. Um, and, slower vessels will actually travel in like a um what's it called convoy convoy yeah so we had gotten through that zone that's like kind of the this is where you're going to expect to deal with craziness and we had taken down our um i think we were we were using curtains on those ships um as defense on the stern the sort of low area on the ship so they're big like mesh curtains that uh you pull out and if a, if a grappling hook was thrown up, they're designed to sort of bounce off that, hmm. not have anywhere to grab on the rails. We had taken all that defense stuff down, taken down the fire hoses, which are is our other defense. Um, and we were cruising along off of Yemen, getting up towards, heading towards Dubai. And there was a really smooth day and a pretty light uh, mist, like a fog. <laughs> and, um, it was kind of similar to that movie where we were doing drills. We do like these weekly drills. Sometimes they're fire drills or um, uh, pirate drills. And then that, at that time, we had broken um, watch. The captain came up to the bridge and sent myself and the officer on watch down. I, I was on watch as a watchstander down to do the drill. And then he called up on the radio and said, hey, get back up to the bridge this ain't no effing drill is what he said. And he said, everybody to the safe room. We almost thought that was like a, a joke, but yeah, we could quickly realized that there were like two high speed skiffs cruising alongside of us. He did sort of use it as an excuse to really do a safe room drill and had the engine room get down to the minimum two guys, uh, two officers. We went up to max speed and he had me on the helm do some turns to see if they would follow our turns and they and they were and then once we got up to max speed one of them had an engine issue on their outboard and they fell back and then the other one kind of drifted back to check them out when it was all said and done we couldn't see any rpgs we couldn't see any really long ladders they didn't attempt to board us but these folks were cruising along in, in high speed skiffs uh with like maybe four people in each boat alongside for for a decent ways not technically a pirate attempted boarding but um it was scary for a minute <laughs> you know yeah everybody was in the safe room and then they all kind of came back and went back to their jobs so and what is top speed uh, on a ship like that we got over like 20 i think we got to like 26 knots uh -huh. yeah and the little skiffs don't have a problem keeping up if they don't have engine problems yeah, I think each had two outboards. The assumption was that they were maybe hiding behind ships as they kind of made their way across that narrow expanse between, you know, basically Europe and Africa. Some ships will hide 
will kind of stay out of radar is what um, we were told and maybe kind of like tic-tac between ships as they make their way across. Hmm. I don't know how much truth there is to that, but um, but we didn't have to call Dubai, which sort of handles all the pirate incidents and the captain didn't want to fill out all the paperwork. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I bet that's a big deal. Wow. Have you done any artwork pirate related? Yeah, actually I'm staring at it right now. One of my ink drawings, I did the um, a guy with an RPG floating on top of a container and then Lawrence of Arabia on the other side. I'm a big Lawrence of Arabia fan and <sighs> You know, in that film, they're dealing with that whole zone and so much of that stuff that's in the film is still happening today. You know, it just sort of seems like history just keeps repeating itself. And then of course, there's also that scene where he crosses the Sinai Peninsula and they pop out in the Suez Canal. So just seeing a lot of that imagery always kind of brings back fond memories of going through the canal. And it's such a trip to be able to look out over an expanse of land, you know, usually don't get to do that from those big ships. Um, so you've got a pretty cool vantage point to check everything out. That's awesome. <laughs> so people can see that image on your website, right? If they, yeah, yeah. that's up there. Yeah. Cool. You took a very different kind of trip to a small Island off of Baja, California. Mm -hmm. um, Talk about that. There was a kind of a convoy of three boats, was it? Yeah. Two sailing boats and... and Two it was sailing a boats and a dive boat. Um, and yeah, that was called the Clipperton Project. And um, that's where I met another Bay Area sailor, Clark Beak. Um, have you had Clark on your podcast before? No, I haven't. You'll have to connect us. Yeah, he's an amazing character. Has totally circumnavigated and sailed to all over the place. And he really helped me out a lot on that. Sacramento sail choosing a route and everything but he was on that trip as well and there was maybe I want to say about 20 to 30 of us from all over the place I think there was maybe like eight different countries represented and it was artists and scientists and some writers this really eccentric playwright from Gibraltar actually was living in Mexico and he, he put this whole thing together and invited us down it was crazy, but we basically just found whatever boats. Clark went down with, with that playwright guy early to source some boats and they and they found a few that we could charter. We basically stayed out on Clipperton Atoll for a week, uh, which is a really strange place that has a really strange history. Jacques Cousteau went there on one of his episodes <laughs> from his series and kind of describes the history. Um, it's passed through a few different nationalities. It's owned by the French right now. And at some point, I think Mexico had it. And basically a whole bunch of people were abandoned there. All the men had rowed to shore to try to get supplies because the supply ship wasn't coming. And there was one man left on the island, uh, the lighthouse keeper. And he essentially was like raping all the, the women that were still there. And, and they murdered him on the day that this American ship arrived and discovered this whole crazy scene. And when the, was that? What what year are we talking about? Oh, early 1900s, late 1800s, something like that. Yeah, really strange place. And there's not anything really there now. It's just sort of this empty at atoll. So people were doing scientific research and artists were just doing all sorts of crazy art stuff. And we were all just interacting and trying to not die because we were <laughs> totally 
not ready to take that trip uh, and land on an atoll. And how long was the trip, and what boat were you on? It was about a thousand miles each way from because we left out of La Paz. If you go directly back to Acapulco, it's less distance, but um, it was kind of a dangerous time there. So we we did it out of La Paz, and then I sailed on a small, like a thirty-five foot fiberglass boat. I forget the make. And I came back on a 50 foot kind of random fiberglass. So what was it about a week down there? And yeah, it was about a week. Yeah. And we had some damage to our rig on the way back and kind of limped into Puerto Vallarta. From weather or just from? We had a turnbuckle that broke. And so we kind of kept it on one. I think it was a cutter rig. So yeah, our forced we had that's all right. We had something happen on our forced day. Uh so we we kind of just kept it on our beam and limped into Puerto Vallarta. Wow. Sounds like quite an adventure. How many people in the group were sailors? Very few. Yeah. <laughs> it's like some people had never even been on a boat practically. This this French girl was throwing up the entire time. Oh no. Um it was crazy, but it was a it was a good adventure. And were you living on the boats when you were there or did you go ashore? And I was, and I finally went ashore one night, but yeah, they were kind of having some of the more boat savvy people running the skiffs, going back and forth to the island and just keeping the boats anchored and everything. There wasn't really an, an easy spot to land. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of folks were just going in through the surf and there's a lot of coral and I'm really amazed nobody got hurt on the trip. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Is it? It's a place that's not visited very often by sailing yachts. No, you have to get permission from the French to land there. But it was beautiful. Did some good diving, and um, it's so cool that there are still places like that in the world, mm-hmm. right? That are remote and not overrun with with boats. Yeah, um, a lot of trash, though. You know everything you'd expect from an atoll in the middle of the sea right now. Uh, that's too bad. Yeah. Well, what's your next project? What do you, um, since we're all sitting at home, yeah. what are you working on these days? Um, I'm kind of working through paintings uh, based off that sailing trip to Sacramento and a lot of photos I took and trying to do some stuff just from memory. I'll be heading up to Alaska for the fishing season. So that will be about six weeks up there. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing this time with us. Is there anything we haven't hit that you want to talk about or mention? No, I think we covered it pretty good. I enjoyed your current show online and I'm excited to see what more comes out of your trip up to Sacramento and um, look for your beautiful seafoam green hull out on the bay when we can get out there again. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun, fun chatting. That's it for this episode. If you want to see the video that Martin and I were talking about, you can search YouTube for Six Months at Sea in the Merchant Marine. It's a 22-minute film that's worth a view. It gives a real sense of what it's like to spend months at sea on a 900-foot container ship. You can also see Martin's art at martinmachado.com. And if you want to see the exhibit he did in Sacramento after boating up the delta, go to publiclandstore.com. Thanks as always for listening. I'm Ben Shaw. 
host and producer of the show. Until next time, smooth sailing. <laughs>